You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Empire. Welcome to my podcast. Today, it's just you and I. I've gathered some information over the last week, so it's a good time for a mailbag edition. Answer 10 questions focusing on quarterback, a possible guy that I could see tempting them in the middle rounds, the tight end position. Is Thaddeus Moss an option? Running back, Landon Collins at linebacker, and the offensive scheme. Don't forget, you can follow my work on ESPN.com. We have a free agent tracker that provides updates on every player signed. They aren't done in free agency, but they are done with the heavy lifting of outside signings. Improving depth, too, is always a big key right now, as it was last year. And some of these signings will come after the draft or could come after the draft. Also, last week, pod, last week's podcast provided a lot of insight from my fellow ESPNers on Ryan Fitzpatrick, William Jackson III, and Curtis Samuel. Give them a listen. I also started the week with a fun, insightful Chris Thompson. Give that a listen as well. And while you're at it, give us a rating on Apple, wherever you can rate podcasts. Kind of helps. Anyway, now on to your questions. Let's start with DRF at Frankenstein1. A lot of talk about potentially drafting a quarterback. If they do, what happens to Allen slash Heineke as they probably won't carry four? Well, they cut one. It's really not that complicated. If they don't see them as a quarterback of the future, they don't need to keep both around. We're not talking Young and Montana here. I think everybody knows that. They also have Steven Montez and could place him on the practice squad if they feel like he's kind of in that same range. And he's a guy that maybe in a couple of years could be exactly what Kyle Allen is or what Heineke is right now. Don't know, but that's a way you could keep another guy around because you're not going to certainly keep four on the active roster. From an economic standpoint, they carry a $1.5 million dead cap hit for cutting Heineke and would have no dead money if they cut Allen. And folks, one thing you have to keep in mind, they have four because they don't have one, or at least not the one. That's what they need. And we're not, you know, we know they like Allen. Doesn't mean they see him as the long-term answer. They, they like what he adds in the room. They like what he, they see him do on the field for, and within their system. And Heineke, but doesn't mean they view him as like some budding star. And Heineke is a guy who has started one game in two years, and though he played well, he'd have to show a lot more to be considered the long-term answer. One game got him a new contract and a chance to earn a, not just a roster spot, but maybe a backup job or whatever. If they don't find a guy in the draft, they can see how he develops or Allen. And if they need to, if they need to try again next offseason, if these guys don't develop, then you try again next offseason. Cause, and you know, so we'll get to more of that in a minute. Anyway, wizard sixth man. I think signing Fitzpatrick is a sign that we'll draft a quarterback in the first round. Agree? If so, which one? I got my money on Lance. That was him talking, not me. Anyway, no, it's not a sign that they're going to take one absolutely in the first round. It could happen at 19 if someone they like is there or if, they, if the guy falls close enough to them to trade up. 
I think all four of those top, though, I think the top four quarterbacks go in the top 10 as of right now, that would be the expectation going into the draft. Um, I don't think, and I stress that I only think, I don't think that Mac Jones would be that guy at 19. So it could be, I think what we're looking at here more wizard six man is that could be a guy more in round two or three, but it's for the exact reason you're hitting at. Obviously Fitzpatrick is a one-year solution and they still need someone to develop. He'd be excellent in a mentorship role, provided that player wants to be mentored. It's not always about the style of play. It's about everything else, the preparation, how he is in meetings, questions he asks, his approach, studying, et cetera, how he watches film, all that stuff. Also, again, if they wait until 2022 to draft someone, they could always re-sign Fitzpatrick next offseason to serve in that same role. All right, Benjamin, at Ben underscore Milner. Do you think Heineke will benefit from the Fitzpatrick mentorship to be a long-term solution, or will drafting another quarterback put us in a better position? Well, I would definitely draft one um, because I think it would put you in a better position. And I have said there is a 100% chance that they do indeed, a chance that they do indeed draft one. Heineke can benefit. Again, there are some sim- there's a lot of similarities between with he and Fitzpatrick. Their backgrounds coming out of college, you know, under, you know, they weren't draft picks coming in. They are you know, they're the underdogs and, and they play a similar style, et cetera. Doesn't mean that just being with him is going to mean that he's can be the, something that he currently is not, which is the player that projects to being a long-term answer. It just means that he can definitely learn. And there are, there are questions about his durability, not to mention again, the resume. He played well in one game. The Tampa D was missing a few of its better players. That's not to take anything away. We all enjoyed watching them, but it's just something you always have to put things in context. He did do well. I liked what he added. Um, but it, you know, I think we still have to approach his future with a little bit of caution or at least um, reality checks, um, realism, whatever you want to call it. He was out of the league for two years. Again, not to hate on him. It's just to bring people back to earth. It is a bonus if he develops into a solid backup. It is an even more incredible bonus if he went beyond that. But in no way, shape, or form should he right now prevent you from going out and finding another solution. And I, do, and I don't think it will, to be honest. And if, it, if they don't get the guy this year, then he's got a chance all year to prove what he can do. Then we'll see. And if not, they go again next year. P. Denny, um, at WHSHG. Do you have any sense how Thaddeus Moss looked when he started? We're out working with the team last year. Is it your sense that he is a lock to make it this year and get playing time? Likely to make it, but not play much? facing an uphill battle to make the team. It's a lot of questions there, man, Um, but good topic. He was mostly hurt, so it's really not worth revisiting how he looked. I think just to be fair to him, um, he coming off those foot injuries and all that, really didn't see much from him at all. So let's see how he looks this summer. I definitely think he's a person of intrigue going into camp. My understanding is that they definitely like him as a possible receiving tight end. It's kind of funny because coming out of college, there were some who felt he'd be better as a blocker. I think I've even repeated that to you because based on what I was either told or heard from others, but these guys definitely see him as a receiving threat. The hard part is knowing where he's at coming off the, his foot injuries. That's something they won't fully know until getting him on the field against you know competition. But yeah, he, he'll be in the mix because you know I don't know how big that hill is yet because right now they only have one legitimate tight end in the roster in Logan Thomas. But they and they do want to add two more. So let's see what happens in the draft and go from there. But yeah, he's got a shot. There are tight ends they really like in this draft. Pitts, of course, is the guy everybody loves, and he'll go in the top 10. But there are others they like after the first round. But Moss will have a chance to open some eyes this summer. Reginald Skinner, my man. 
Looking at WFT pass catchers, how do these guys stack up? Do we expect a receiver drafted? Wants to know what I'm cooking in between all these signings. Reginald, I can absolutely see another wide receiver being drafted, and here's a surprising twist. It could be a slot guy. While Curtis Samuel was effective out of slot in Carolina, they see him as a guy with a lot of position versatility. What they would like to, or in addition to him, is a true slot. There was hope that Steven Sims could be that guy, but he had too many key drops last season. And if you get limited chances, you can't drop as many as he did. I always I liked what I saw from Sims at the last part of his rookie year. He was dusting guys. And so I was a little bit surprised he never got back. He wasn't doing that last year. Those drops did hurt him. And it's why they're going to look for someone else. And if, if they can find that guy, and there are a lot of good slot receivers in this draft. It is a really, really good draft for slot guys, starting with a guy like Kadarius Tony out of Florida. And I do think he remains a possibility at 19. If they, if they really want to fill that and he's sitting there, he is, an, he is an absolute possibility. Then, of course, it depends on what else is there because they would like a tackle. You know, you guys know about linebacker, um, but I do think that that would be a guy to watch there. But there's also guys in the second, third rounds who can fill that role as well. As for the rest of the receivers, not named McLaurin and Samuel, they love how Cam Sims finished and they're intrigued by Kelvin. And so that's why they wanted to bring them back. So he's definitely a guy to watch. And they're intrigued by Kelvin Harmon because of his size. He'll be interesting to watch. Doesn't project to a top three receiver, doesn't have great speed, but the physical play is something that I think that they really want to get latch on to. Um, he's also a guy right on that fringe where if he really, you know, a lot of times with teams, if they don't think you can help big at a position or maybe get cut at a position, then they're good. that's when you would say, hey, what about adding 10, 15 pounds and going to tight end? Because in this offense, in this offense, if you can run a route from a position, you know, from a certain spot on the field as a receiver, it's the same thing as a tight end because they move these guys around. And so the system, that system allows you to, to move from one spot to another with more ease. Don't know if that's going to happen. I'm just saying that I think he's going to be a guy they're going to want to keep around, um, kind of maybe a better version of Niles Paul maybe, because he can help a receiver too. So that's why we're really, really not at the point where we're talking about him going to tight end. I'm just telling you that it's something that if they didn't think he could do there, then maybe you have that conversation, but not at that point now. And then you also have Antonio Gandy-Golden, um, who you got to see how he develops coming off a tough rookie year. Um, has to be better, but I think they they saw some things on some runs that he had, on some of those end of rounds that he had, where they liked him a little bit in the open field. So we'll see how he develops. Um, and that's, you know, one thing this offense needs are big physical, you know, more some bigger type receivers. It's what the system has really done well with in the past. Um, Isaiah Wright, they felt he kind of plateaued last season. So well, he's going to have to show out this summer as well. As for what I'm cooking, hard to smoke right now because the time involved and, you know, don't have as much time with free agency and all that. But a month or so ago, smoked some pork belly with an apple juice glaze sauce to pour over it. Made some ham homemade ravioli one day. Killed a smoked beer can chicken. I'll get back to doing some more really real soon. Some pulled porks up on the future schedule. And I've got to make some smoked pastrami at some point soon. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Um, all right, Ryan Crow. 
wants to know, do you foresee Scott Turner altering his scheme for the additions of Fitz and Samuel and the development of the returning players? I don't think he has to alter his scheme. I think they, they have a rather vast playbook and can emphasize different aspects for to fit different players. And I think that's probably more of what you're asking. It definitely opened their eyes in Carolina how Curtis Sam how they used Curtis Samuel last year, operating more in the slot. I know they won't use him exclusively there, but his role should be greater than it was when they coached him in Carolina. With Fitzpatrick, there's no need to necessarily alter because he's willing to go down the field and throw 50-50 balls. This scheme also calls for bigger receivers again. Um, that's one reason that helps that. But he's also at his best or has been operating that one to 10 yard range. So guys like Samuel can win quickly. That's where Samuel was most effective. And you get a guy like Tony to where he can be effective too. Watch him in Florida, you know, the way he jukes some of the guys on some of the pivot routes. Um, I think what you'll see is diverse alignments as much as anything. So I think it allows them to expand the playbook. For example, they can use Samuel McLaurin on the same side to force defenses to choose who you're going to give attention to. And the other one gets the ball. And you saw this in Carolina, Samuel running a lot of clear out go routes down the seam. But what that does is open up the inside for that dig route that McLaurin really excels at. And you can flip the two. You can run McLaurin from the inside and Samuel from the outside. That's the benefit of him. It's a little bit hard to do that with just a true slot sometimes. But that's what this guy, that's what that pairing can give you. Um, so I think that's where, again, it allows you to open up the playbook more. I, I think that would be more what they do. And I think also what we saw with, with Alex Smith last year is how they could get deeper into the playbook. And that's what a guy like him, like Fitzpatrick can help with as well. And I think Allen and, and, and Heineke to a lesser degree, but with, you know, Fitzpatrick doesn't know the offense as well as those guys, but his experience in, in, in this, in multiple systems, but also in the NFL, I think will help with that. Allow him to pick that up quickly. Bell at Bell Arafon at Bell underscore Arafon. How realistic is Landon Collins' linebacker given the emergence of Curl and the need at a coverage linebacker? Well, it's not realistic. And I hope we can end this hypothetical discussion at this point. I'm sure it won't end, but I hope it does. I answered the, I did answer this question a few times earlier in the offseason. And I even, you know, and I know what I what I always said was I'd never saw him being moved, but I know that they view his skills as being able to translate to three spots: strong safety, big nickel, and linebacker. But I would always add with that, he never wanted any part of this position when he was in New York because it was asked then. He reiterated this. More importantly, reiterated this on social media last week. So even if they went to him and said that, I think it's, he'd be like, I think he'd drop um, a whatever, no way, whatever. He's not a linebacker. He's also coming off an Achilles injury. To think that he'd be the answer at linebacker is a stretch at this point, considering you don't even know what his health is going to be let alone then putting him there and hoping he can develop into a quality starter. You can't, you can't, it's way too hard at this point to do that. It doesn't matter. He's a safety. He can help at big nickel. He can help at strong safety with him, with him and Cam Curl. They have those spots covered well. All right. Now we have one from GSH Rhodes. Um, he's, he asks if they draft a developmental QB, who do you sense slash feel they may take if they're all available in these rounds? Trask in the second, Mond in the third, Newman in the fourth, Mills in the fifth. I think Trask would be the guy. I could see a guy like Trask in the third round, though. I don't think in the second. That might be a little bit high for him. Um, I've studied Mond a little bit, but I've seen a lot more of Trask. And here's why I think he would be an option for them in the third round. Um, I'm not sure about the other guys later, but so I'm just going to stick on him right now. I haven't studied the other guys at all. Um, he's competitive. He has mental toughness. He's considered a leader who can play well from the pocket and throws with accuracy 
on the short and intermediate routes. If he were more mobile, he would go higher. He's not, and that's why he'll be there in the third round. He can slide in the pocket, a key attribute, if you're not mobile. I saw that in, some, in, the, games, in the games that I watched. He doesn't have the greatest arm on deep throws either. Another reason why he'd be there in the third round. Again, maybe somebody takes him in the second, but I think for these guys, if, if for me, with these guys, I think third. But because he has the other, other skills, I could see them taking a chance on him. I think if you had a guy like, like uh, Trask, you want a couple things. You got guys who can win underneath early. Samuel, McLaurin, maybe Tony, as we mentioned earlier, guy he had in college. And a couple big guys, Cam Sims or somebody similar, AGG maybe, because he's adept at throwing those 50-50 balls, putting, giving his guys a chance to win on those routes. Um, you saw it with Pitts. You saw it with some of his other receivers at Florida. He does seem more suited for a quick passing game, not as much for one where you want to take vertical shots. That gives me some pause, but again, some of this talent Washington's getting, I think it may fit with him. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here, of course. I mean, this is just whatever, but his accuracy in games um, I saw against Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama on some throws I thought was pretty strong. I know that mobility would be welcome, but you have to think – you have to think you're getting a player that you can develop. The only question is what you'd have to have with him is develop to what, um, you know, but he does, he is a big kid. Um, I, and I definitely could see some of those traits appealing to Rivera, um, but it shouldn't appeal to him until the third round. And we'll get into some of more of these other quarterbacks and their possibilities later on. I just happened to watch him. And I do think, you know, knowing what I know, I think some of those things would about about trash that some of that would appeal to Rivera. So we'll see. KB wants to know any update on a potential Jonathan Allen contract extension. Well, the last I checked was a little earlier in the week. And at that time, there wasn't much movement toward one. It's always been something I think both sides want to do. And I also thought the timing might be more in the spring once they saw what they needed and how contracts were structured, et cetera. They don't need to create cap space, you know, to, so there's not that urgency to get it done right away. And I always have to point out that these kind of deals are, you know, there's a lot about cash flow. Cash flow is king. That's available cash on hand, et cetera. Teams sometimes want to spread these out a bit by the time, but the time to really get done will probably be in the spring. That's what, you know, the organization has done that in the past. That was a different regime and different cap people and all that, but that's when a lot of times they've done it. For comparison's sake, Leonard Williams did sign a three-year deal with 63 million. The cap hit this year, it's 11 million, 26 and a half million next year. Maybe if you're Washington, you try to extend Allen off the option and not replace it, giving them two years at a possible favorable cap number for, for him and for them. But I don't know. I think this is going to be a little bit of a tricky one because that money for some of those spots are going way up. And they also have other guys there like um, with Tim Settle and, and Matt Ioannidis who can play some of that same role that, that Allen does. So I think all that gets tricky. But there, you know, I, I would expect there to be more talks in the spring, I would think. And finally, Schultze wants to know, with so many options at running back, why would Ron and company sign Lamar Miller back so quickly? Well, so many, well, they don't have that many, to be honest. Beyond the first three of Gibson, McKissick, and Barber, who do they have that you think, oh, he would be a lock. You shouldn't bring anybody to compete with this guy. Well, there's nobody like that. And you need depth in case somebody gets hurt, even in camp. And it happens often enough. Miller is a veteran back who may or may not have something left. It's a no harm, no foul. I mean, it's not expensive. Now, I will say this is my chance to talk about Bryce Love, who has not played in his first two years with Washington. Apparently, he had some recent follow-up surgery or procedure this offseason to clean up some lingering issues and has told people that he's feeling really good. 
So there's, I think there's still some intrigue in him within the organization and wanting to see what he can do. But that's why you bring in guys like Miller. Love is a bonus. So if he doesn't show enough, then it doesn't hurt you. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, watch out for Bryce Love. I just think that there's, that there's a chance that he'll get to camp and they're, they're, really, they're going to be curious to see what he can do when he gets back on the field, when he's feeling good, and if he can stay feeling good because that's also another problem. So, But that's why you bring in Miller, and that's why you maybe you bring in someone else. They do have Javon Lee, Jonathan Williams as well, but that's, you know, you, you, you just want to see. And if he can't do it, it's, again, with love, it's a bonus because if he can't, now you got Miller if you want a fourth back or maybe one of those other guys. But you need competition. You want another veteran among that group just in case. So that's why. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Conn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team. Everything you want you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. Good questions, folks. That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all the questions. I'll be back with another episode later in the week. Talk to you next time.